Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. This is a hard week for Asians and Asian Americans everywhere. This Wednesday marks one year since a gunman killed eight people in Atlanta, Georgia, in a targeted attack against Asian massage parlors. Six of those killed were Asian women. Around that time, there was this hail of stories, videos, and pictures of Asian elders being attacked here in the Bay Area. It was a painful and scary time. And we're still seeing examples of anti-Asian violence now. This hasn't gone away. We also want to remember who exactly was targeted on that day in Atlanta and why. So today we're sharing an interview we had nearly one year ago with Bay Area activist and advocate Hejin Shim. It's a conversation about how this was a specific attack on working class immigrant Asian women and why that specificity matters as we think about how to protect the most vulnerable. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hey, 
Hejin Shim is a member of Survived and Punished, which provides legal help for survivors of domestic abuse, sexual assault, or trafficking. She's based in Oakland, and one year ago, she spoke with Devin Karyama. This past week has been, you know, pretty overwhelming. It's like the floodgates have opened. I was just with my with my partner and my roommate. Um, both of them are Asian Americans. And I, you know, looked at Twitter for a second. And I was like, oh my God, have you guys seen this? People around the world are talking about what happened here. Shootings at three spas in Metro Atlanta. Eight people are dead and six were Asian women. You know, I think there's a lot of grief and outrage and anger about what happened in Georgia last week. Um, and also it feels like the floodgates have opened for a lot of um, a lot of people in Asian, Asian American communities to start speaking out about their experiences with racial violence, especially for women. So it's it's been kind of a lot. Typically, survivors, women in our communities have very little space to talk about their experiences of sexual violence and gender violence. And I think as people who are socialized or categorized as this quiet model minority, I think people haven't really known how to articulate their experiences with racism, particularly as it relates to gender. So there's been this floodgate of emotions, of conversations, and also your own work and activism has gotten a lot busier. And this past weekend, there have been rallies and vigils all over, including in the Bay Area and San Francisco, where you went. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was like? You know, it was a huge crowd. Can barely, like, walk through it. I think it was different seeing, like, a predominantly Asian crowd. And, I mean, it was still multiracial, of course, we are in the Bay Area. But, yeah, it was such a huge crowd of Asians and pretty you know intergenerational you know because first i'm a woman so i'm gonna get attacked second i'm a person of color i will be attacked now i'm an elder so i will be three strikes against me so i think emotions were running pretty high like not in a bad way but i just sensed like excitement from people that they were gathering together and also of course sadness and anger You know, one person who spoke was the relative of an elderly Asian who had been attacked, I think, a year or two ago and um, had recently passed away and never quite recovered from their injuries. People were speaking about just how we needed to band together and, you know, protect our communities and support each other. And, um, you know, I was asked to speak as well. So I spoke on just how, um, you know, just like the question of what does community safety look like? And what does it mean to protect or care for, um, for the most vulnerable in our communities, such as elders, such as migrant workers, migrant sex workers, and so on. Yeah, I want to ask you a little bit about that. As you were preparing for what you were going to say, as you were preparing to speak, what message were you hoping to convey and why? I think the message I was hoping to convey was, was about how you know, gender violence, racial violence are deeply interconnected, particularly for, you know, for all of us, but for Asian women. So I think I wanted to kind of share some of my experiences working with survivors who who taught me, 
you know, in so many different ways that safety is not just about calling 911. It's not just about having a restraining order. It's not just about having more police patrol the area. And actually those things can worsen a situation or with migrant women who are undocumented, they're terrified of law enforcement. And I think I just wanted to kind of talk about the victims in such a way that they aren't just symbols, but regardless of what kind of work they did, they had lives with dignity and, you know, to honor their memories and to honor their lives. And I hope we can do more to support each other, not just when a horrible tragedy happens or not just after uh, victims have passed away, but, you know, all the time while people are still alive. So right now we, we're in this moment where people are, are still processing and they're still healing but they're also looking for solutions or how to respond. What do you think is the most important thing to understand right now? I think what's most important to understand right now is that while this is an attack on all of our communities, it was also a very specific attack. And I think just thinking more deeply about why did he target these massage parlors? You know, he drove 30 minutes from one to another. Like this was clearly um, premeditated and he had specific targets in mind. It wasn't just like the shopping mall or even like, like an Asian church. So, you know, I think for me, having worked for such a long time with migrant women, with survivors of violence, you know, learning that they may have been sex workers or providing some kind of sexual services, that wasn't necessarily like a salacious detail for me. Like, I think that's how it has landed for some members of the community. Like, oh, like that's, you know, um, that's like further shaming the victims or blaming the victims to label them as potential sex workers. For me, that detail wasn't so much a detail that was shameful, but a detail that was really crucial to the picture. Because in my experiences working with survivors, migrant women, that component of sexualization and stigmatization of certain kinds of work, that has always made people easier to target. So, you know, to me, it didn't feel like a coincidence that this person was, you know, full of rage and racism and violence and that, you know, he kind of sought out the most vulnerable members of our community to attack. When we think about what comes next, why is it important that we name all these different intersections that we've been talking about, Asian, immigrant, sex workers, you know, because it is really hard and complicated right now. I think it's really important to keep that those intersections in mind with with solutions because then we are at risk of producing solutions that don't actually benefit the most vulnerable. In terms of solutions, they're not like easy, quick, or even very like sexy solutions, like, you know, hire more armed patrols or like get guns and protect each other. Like it's not- Which is what a lot of what you're hearing right now. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also like a very masculinist way (laughs) of approaching um, community violence, right? I think the non-sexy and very difficult solutions to me are thinking about what would be most helpful towards potentially undocumented, potentially sex working, low wage uh, massage parlor workers. Well, first, like, are they in safe workplaces? Do they experience any wage theft? Do they um, get to keep their tips? Do they feel that there is someone to talk to or report to if an interaction with a with a customer goes wrong? Um, you know, a lot of 
people, like when they migrate to the United States, they might have been a teacher back at home. They might have been um, a nurse or they might have been whatever it is. And they come to the United States and they're locked out of all these different channels for for labor that they're used to. And so when you're locked out by language, when you're locked out by immigration status, when you're locked out um, by virtue of just being a migrant in this country, then you have limited paths available to you. So I think thinking about like basic income for people, thinking about do people have safe housing? Do they have safe health care? If they are harmed or um, experience some violence, is there somewhere they can go to to receive services like um, like a victim compensation fund or social services like counseling or even getting to an emergency shelter? Are those things available in Asian languages? I want to ask you about a word that I hear thrown around a lot with how to respond to these attacks, and that's this idea of solidarity. I think it can be really hard to figure out what that means in practice, especially if you're new to these conversations about social justice. So what does solidarity mean to you? I think solidarity really starts with learning and educating yourself on what challenges are a community is facing um, and looking for kind of the connections or parallels, as well as looking for the things that are different. So, you know, I think um, there has been a lot of conversation about Black Asian solidarity or um, anti-Blackness within Asian American communities or, um, you know, just the racial component of the attacks on elders. And I think solidarity looks like seeing the ways that racism against Black Americans has traditionally, like historically, looked quite different from uh, racism against Asian immigrants, Asian Americans. And there are a lot of points of similarity too, but there are also a lot of differences. I think we do have a lot to learn from um, from Black American communities that have been organizing around police violence for such a long time now. And, um, and there are a lot of really astute conversations and, and ideas and things that people are trying out that I think we can learn from, you know? So um, I think some of those things that we could potentially learn from are um, expanding our idea of what safety looks like, expanding that, that idea of what it means to protect people um, without relying on police. I think solidarity looks like exchanging kindness with friends or loved ones. I don't need to see like an Instagram like 10 bullet point like um, manifesto on, on how to be a good ally. I think it's like about relationship building at its core, like building trust, um, building a sense of kindness towards each other, generosity, and, and I think humility. What do you think you need as, as an Asian woman, as an organizer as well? What helps you move forward in your work in your daily life? I think what helps me move forward is actually having moments to not think about everything <laughs> and having space with each other, like as organizers and just as people to to not have all of our conversations be really heavy. And, you know, racial violence is a huge structuring element of our lives. Gender violence is a huge structuring element of our lives. But my life is more than that. And I think the life of the lives of these victims was obviously more than that. Like, what kind of music did they like? Like, they like to dance. They like to, you know, and in my life, too, like. I am often that person that's like talking about these things constantly, but that's not all I want to talk about. You know, like I just started playing like Zelda Breath of the Wild. <laughs> <laughs> but just those moments to, to live our lives and not just be symbols or, or spokespeople for, for our communities.
in response to that and with respect to your time, thank you so much for <laughs> for spending it with us and, and talking to us about this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. That was Hejin Shim speaking with Devin Karayama. Hejin is a member of Survived and Punished, which provides legal help for survivors of domestic abuse, sexual assault, or trafficking. She's also a member of the Korean American Coalition to End Domestic Abuse. This week, there are a number of vigils and rallies in the Bay Area to remember the Atlanta shooting and the eight people who were killed one year ago. They were Soon Chung Park, Hyun Chung Grant, Soon Cha Kim, Young A. Yu, Xiao Ji Tan, Dao Yo Feng, Delena Ashley Yaun, and Paul Andre Michaels. This episode of The Bay was originally produced by Alan Montecilio, Shailen Martos, and me. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks for listening, y'all. Take care. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. 